Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com/upgrade. This episode of Under Consultation is brought to you in part by our wonderful backers on Patreon. You can get this podcast a week early and ad-free by heading on over to patreon.com/underconsultpod. Welcome to the Games Rig. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, immensely playable, very addictive, and very cute. And I am old Nobly Nice himself, Ash Versus. And I am your guest this episode, the grossest character you've ever seen, the sweaty bulk of Dave Bulmer, sometimes <laughs> known as Demon Tomato Dave. <laughs> what? We've got guests? <laughs> Luke had to put clothes on. What the hell? <laughs> uh, this episode aired on the 8th of October 1992. But before we get into the details of that, Dave, why don't you tell the fine folk who you are? Well, I'm a man who does another podcast on which some of the editing cues in this podcast are heavily inspired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did want to talk to you about that. <laughs> uh, I do a podcast called Sonic the Comic the Podcast which can be found on Twitter at Sonic Podcast. And it's about the time when in the UK, Sega brought out a comic slash games magazine. And it was about Sonic, but also it was about their other stuff. And we look at it as a sort of time capsule and tell you all about the adverts and letters pages and everything we can to put you in that time, which was 1993-4. Come join us, it's fun. It's a fantastic podcast. It is. I went a bit too adverty. <laughs> Sorry about no, that. No, 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 no. Chill away. It, it's a great podcast. Uh, Luke switched me on to it. Uh, it's an interesting one because while I'm listening to it, I'm obviously also preparing for this podcast. Yes. But I'm listening to the future. Yes. <laughs> because you're slightly further ahead of I us know, in time. I know. And I get the opposite thing. When I was listening to your podcast, I was like, whoa, this is... I, I didn't quite separate out how early Games Master was compared to STC. Well, it's only about a year or so in it, but in those days, that was a lot. That's a long old time. 
And so, well, I'll be bringing it up later, but when certain things aren't even out yet? Like, I was sure Sonic 2 predated Games Master Series 1, but apparently not. No, it does not, no. No, definitely not. No, we had that last week, our preview of Sonic 2, because it's out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sonic Tuesday is just around the corner in our timeline. Yeah, the preview God. last week, which was the version that was stolen. Yeah, from the New uh, York Toy Fair. From the New York Toy Fair, but the video <laughs> oh. footage was the same version, and it was when there was still a lot of um, Sonic CD elements oh, wow. in the game. Yes. Yeah, oh, so, oh, I'm going straight to YouTube after this. <laughs> uh, right, so what was your history with Games Master? Funnily enough, I don't know if many guests who come on here are going to be able to tell you this, but I can remember precisely the instant I first saw Games Master. I have it a snapshot in my head. See, there had been on TV in some way, I don't know what this was, just information about the fact that on Sky TV, there was a thing called the Super Mario Challenge. And this was a TV game show in which a guy dressed as Mario had two little sets of contestants behind desks and they, they, did, they just played Mario on a big screen or something like this. I was so excited, of course, back in those days when the idea of satellite televisions was, you know, tremendously exciting. That was something I wanted, but it wasn't something we were ever going to get. And then one day we sit down... And we've got our tea. We've got our tea on our laps on our little tray. I've got my Ghostbusters tray with the little <laughs> folding, uh, little foldy out legs. Nice. Yeah. And uh, what's on the TV? But a man. He's not dressed as Mario, but he does seem to be guiding people on the screen who are playing something. Which, I mean, I won't look it up right in the middle of this podcast, but I want to say it was Mario. And I went, but this is only on Sky TV. And my parents went, is it? what is it and i went it's it's a program that's only on sky tv and what i was angling for was for them to reveal that yes this is how they're showing us that we've got sky tv uh no no it turned out to be games master what a disappointment but i never missed an episode after that it was it was so good and then a few months later we did go to games master live Oh, so yeah. We're, yeah, we're coming close to Games Master Live in our timeline, and we get a preview yes. of it slightly here as well. So we'll get onto that ever so yes. shortly. Uh, what was your What was your gaming at the time? So this is like October of 1992, right? I'm Spectrum only at this point. Um, I've not got any. So Spectrum got that just after starting school, and I was on that right the way up to 1993, my last year at primary school, uh, and mine was one of those primary schools that goes through to year six. Mm. So. Um, yeah, uh, so I was Spectrum all the way through till Amiga in 93. So we're in the Spectrum era now, which means Dizzy, 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 Dizzy. <laughs> dizzy, Dizzy, Dizzy was my little man. And this basically was my only source of, of like, regular non-Spectrum gaming content. Because I hadn't even... Yeah, my, my, my best friend who got a NES hadn't got it yet. That's something that we like to put across in the Sonic podcast, that, like... Things were different back then, and you didn't all just get new consoles like when they came out. It was that, that lots of people would get, you know, come up to date with games by getting the latest console days before the new one came in because that was when the prices dropped and so on. And that was just normal. No one was made fun of them for that. That was just what we did. Yeah, we've talked about it on this podcast before, but I had my Mega Drive all the way up until like. 1998 i think it was certainly it was after the release of resident evil 2 for the playstation i know that much because when i got my playstation a friend of mine brought round resident evil 2 to play my history with the idea of when you got new consoles was uh, i mean one is i was on the uh 
the slight other side of the spectrum divide i was on the amstrad cpc 464 right right which fine, if, fine. if the spectrum was a nippy little mini I was the Volvo. It it was about the same amount of power, but in a much chunkier case made of lead. (laughs) But also, same as you, dizzy, dizzy, dizzy. (laughs) You with your white eggs. I had a cool blue hedgehog. That was my best friend. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing. As a dyed-in-the-wool Sonic fan with his own Sonic podcast and all of that, I didn't get my Mega Drive until 1995 or something like that. Way late way late in the game because by then i'd proven i really yes did want one and it wasn't a bad (laughs) (laughs) all right well uh let's find out what was number one at the box office on uh, the weekend of october 8th 1992 and it's spotswood the Moccasin factory in spotswood do you know what this spotswood is errol wallace is a business consultant who's trying to bring spotswood up to date we look at your whole operation not just manufacturing but uh your equity position uh, debt to equity ratio market determinants uh, tax minimization you know, the whole corporate picture really carrie spencer is a nice young guy who's only trying to get a date i was thinking i'm asking for but you know I wouldn't. Both of them have a lot to find out about life. Uh, no, I'd like to see your records for the last five years. That's them? I've got small handwriting. And love. I've got a date. I'm meeting Cheryl. And did you tell Cheryl? Among the Marcusons. Lovely. Lovely. I do know one thing about Spotswood, which is that uh, Spottyswood is the factory that Bertha was set in. Is it anything to do with that? <laughs> Sadly not. No. Let's talk about Bertha. <laughs> Shall we? She was a lovely machine. <laughs> what was last week's film? A City of Joy. City of Joy. I've already removed it from my head. I did want to talk about that because it's a white saviour film and I really just don't have time for that right now. Yeah, Patrick Swayze is a white saviour. It's just not aged well on so many levels. So we talked about Super Mario Brothers instead. We talked about Super Mario Brothers and briefly Roadhouse. This movie, I can't tell you anything about it and I spent a fair amount of time searching on the internet and you know what? I couldn't find much about it on the internet either. And if in 2020 you can't find much about a film on the internet, you know you're in for a rough time. I mean, it made number one at the UK box office, but that's not saying much because Freddy's Dead also made number one at the UK box office this year. Yeah, um, the only thing I would, it was starred Anthony Hopkins and a young Ben Mendelsohn and was released in the US as the efficiency expert. Ah, well, maybe that. If you looked for that, you'd find info about that. There you go. This is where we Maybe that's wrong. why you can't find anything. That's a hell of a weird Philosopher's Stone kind of name change. <laughs> <laughs> and kicking it at number one in the UK charts. Are we it- just, we're literally abandoning the film. There is nothing to be said about <laughs> nothing it. Nothing to be said about um, it. Oh, it may be Anthony Hopkins' only Australian produced film. There we go. Cool. I'm glad we got that uh, extra bit. Was there anything else? Sorry, bro. <laughs> uh, just checking interesting facts interesting facts <laughs> good luck um no 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 okay cool so kicking it <laughs> oh. at number one in the uk charts it is it just still... says nil <laughs> <laughs> it is still ebenezer good by the shaman hey. in its second week uh we were talking about how much we loved this song uh last week yeah uh, any... like the scene you know what i mean any thoughts on the song mate i used to think that it was saying He's good. Not he's a good. He's mm. good. I used to think it was he's good. He's good. And then <laughs> he's never been so good. <laughs> Which 
I thought it was quite nice. I was a little bit... I, I was ashamed to let that go when I found out what it really was. <laughs> I love to think that maybe they'd have recorded a radio edit that would have finally got past the BBC censors. Well, I think that must be... Yeah, that it must have been, like... It's good. Maybe there, maybe it was cut like that because it really doesn't sound the same to me now when I hear it. But probably I was just listening to things on bad little old nineties headphones and scratchy old little old nineties Walkmans and stuff. The thing that I love about the song is, of course, it was censored and it was uh, you know yeah. a public shame over the fact that here is a pro-drug song, yeah. allegedly. But it was actually a cautionary tale by its own lyrics mm. because you've got the verse. A gentleman of leisure, he's there for your pleasure, but go easy on old Ezer, he's a love you could lose. Extraordinary fella like Mr. Punchinella, he's the kind of geezer who must never be abused. Basically saying, E can be fun, uh, but if you do too much, you're yeah. munted, you're screwed, you're done. Oh, well. Yeah. Also, amazing lyrical reference of Mr. Punchinella. Mr. Punchinella! The full name for Mr. Punch from Punch and Judy. Yeah, it's not like a literary reference going back centuries. Good stuff, the shaman. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought that these eat up hooligans <laughs> actually had some literary fact in there? Also, who looked at the word pleasure and went, okay, pleasure, fella. What rhymes with fella? Yeah. Oh, I know. Punchinella. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. That's honestly really good, isn't it? Yeah. But no, but I do like that, that lyric because, well, yes, it could be seen as a pro-recreational drug song. It's not just going, yeah, go out, take this until your head falls off and have a good time. It is going, mate, moderation. It yeah. did also come out during BBC's Drug Awareness Week. Did it? <laughs> well, guess what? It raised awareness of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it's Games Master time again. We are here with another gently lingering soiree set deep in the bowels of our offshore holiday camp. So let's say a big hidey hi to old Knees himself, the Games Master. Right, well, let's get into the show itself. Dominic Diamond welcomes us into this gently lingering soiree uh, deep in the bowels of the holiday camp and say hidey hi to the Games Master himself. Good evening and welcome to the Games Week. I do hope the helicopter ride wasn't too turbulent. I'm sorry to say that the sprite for my first challenge is quite one of the most unappealing I've ever had the misfortune to come across. His name is Chuck Rock, and tonight's first contestant will need to guide his considerable sweaty belt through the fourth level of the game in less than one minute forty-five seconds. I'll try not to let my aversion for this unsavoury character mar my enjoyment of the game. Oh boy, do I love me Chuck Rock. <laughs> I love this game. I had completely forgotten about this game's existence until watching this for this podcast. And at that point, it was like someone had said the keyword and <laughs> like the sleeper agent within me was unlocked. And suddenly <laughs> I was back in 1992 and 1993 with no reasonable way to play this game mm -hmm. because I wasn't an Amiga owner. And I think there were some 8-bit ports, but guess what? They were probably awful. <laughs> there may have been a demo on the cover of Amstrad Action for all I know. But I remember the character because it was a really quite easy character to draw. Mm. Because he had such pronounced features. And okay. so, despite the lack of an Amiga, despite the lack of playing the game, he was all over my school exercise books. <laughs> More so than Sonic the Hedgehog. Because wow. Chuck Rock was much easier to draw than Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that. Even though it doesn't make sense because Sonic is just sticks and balls, somehow that made it harder to get them right. 
Whereas Chuck Rockets, slightly more complicated shapes, but not so complicated that you can't draw them. Just complicated enough that it would take quite a lot of effort to really do it badly. It's very easy to consistently draw Chuck Rock. By your podcast has shown, it's sometimes not so easy to consistently draw Sonic the Hedgehog. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, By the way, since we're doing a little crossover, did you ever read Max Overload? No. Max Overload was, and I do sometimes get it mixed up, it may have been Max Overdrive, but I think it was Max Overload, was a a brief um, competitor to Sonic the Comic, which had... Chuck Rock as a as a comic strip. It had really? lemmings. It had um, Green Dog, I think, or something like that. It, wow. wow! It was weird stuff. It was, uh, and I think Toe Jam and Earl. It was stuff that was not quite top tier Sega stuff, but it was still Sega stuff. Oh, there's a Toe Jam and Earl comic, and I've never known about this. Yeah, call yourself a real fan. Uh, But this is a very tough challenge, though, because, I mean, Games Master calls him a gross character, a sweaty bulk. (laughs) Oh, man, there's there's massive body shaming from Games Master, which I think for Patrick Moore to do is a ballsy move. (laughs) But this is a tough challenge. You've got to beat the fourth level and the first boss in one minute and 45 seconds. I found this genuinely quite thrilling, you know? Like... (laughs) I used to... Well, I've, I've all my life, I've been so bored by sports. This is why I refuse to listen to your other podcast. So bored <laughs> <laughs> by sports. That I, I always thought, like, even, the, even things just connected with sports were incredibly tedious. I used to think sports commentators were like a leftover from the radio days. I wasn't sure why they were still on when, yes, we could see what was happening. But... <laughs> put two blokes shouting over Chuck Rock and it made it really gripping. I I think I can see the point now. (laughs) The challenge itself, I love the introduction from Dominic Diamond when he's like, we think the fastest time humanly possible to do this is one minute 45 seconds. And I love how he says, we think. It does hint at, we picked a number out of the air or... We checked this guy out in rehearsal, saw what his fastest time there was, and went, right, let's shave five seconds off that. Yeah, my theory was this was Neil West's time. I think Neil West could do this in 1 minute 45. And he then said, I think if you're really good at the game, you could probably do it in 1.45. And they're like, cool, that's fine. 1.45 it is, then Neil West from (laughs) Sega Power. And here for some big belly Stegosaurus butt-kicking action is a young man from Surrey. Please welcome George Xenophontos. Now, George, we've got this challenge set at 1 minute 45. That's the quickest we think it is humanly possible. What time have you been getting in practice? Well, I've done it the quickest time in 1.50. 1.50. And so how confident are you? Well, 1.45 is pushing it, but maybe with a bit of luck. You I might, might just, you I might just, just clock it. All right, yeah. then, George, if you'd like to sit yourself down in the game playing chair, we wish you all the best. But our contestant is George from Surrey. Yes, George Delafontos from Surrey is the challenger, and he says that... The quickest time he's done it in is 1 minute 50. It's a difficult game to get a speed run on because one thing you can say about Chuck is speed is not in his vocabulary. No. Ugh is in his vocabulary <laughs> and that's the that's the pace he moves at. Yeah. He is a slow moving son of a gun. But yeah, I, I just really like this very tight turnaround of 1 minute 45, especially knowing that the end boss when you get to him is a pattern. And it's not the quickest pattern because you've no, got to throw the rock, jump up, then hide, and then jump back down. So you've really got to allow yourself a good chunk of time for that boss in order yes. to beat this challenge. So you've got to get through that level really Because when they were counting down those last seconds, and we're all watching going like, 
Well, there's nothing he can do. If that <laughs> boss, do, if it doesn't happen to take that amount of time, what's he supposed to do? And I was starting to try and strategize. I was going like, ah, mate, pick up. Is that another rock? Is that a second rock? Pick it up. Get over there. Chuck it at him. Back. Get the first one. Chuck it at him. There must be something you can do to speed this up. I don't know that there was. I, d- I really don't think he had much choice. No, he, he was a very smart gamer up until that point. He did something that we'd seen before in season one, which is using that brief invincibility mm. boost. You take a hit of damage and it uh, either gets you to run through some enemies or in the case of Chuck Rock, it gives you a boost jump. Yes. Yeah. And he used that to jump up the platforms. And I'm like, man, this dude really has been playing this game yeah. because that's not something you discover on one day of playing unless... Neil West was over his shoulder like a force ghost. Yeah. Uh, just going, use the damage box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And helping me out on this challenge is Neil West from Mega. Welcome, Neil. Thanks, Tony. Great to be here again. Okay, any tips for George on this challenge? Um, he's really got to move. He can jump over baddies and he can do flying kicks. It's a lot quicker than belly butting them. Yeah. But he's got to arrive alive. So if he sees a heart, which will replenish his health points, then he's got to take it. So we've got Neil West uh, in our commentary booth without his hat. But he does have... An incredibly nice Sega jumper. Luke, where are our incredibly nice Sega jumpers? Because I'm looking at this in 2020 going, I want this Sega jumper. It's stylish. But what I like about Neil West here is that he gives the very, very smart advice, which is the flying kick is quicker than the belly bump. The belly bump makes your character stop and you do an animation, but the flying Mm. kick keeps your momentum going. Mate, that's advice I still carry to this day. That's that's (laughs) life lessons. This guy, George Delafontos, is speed running his way through this first level. I got such a kick out of him, yeah. damage boosting his way through things. He knew exactly what enemies to take damage from and where he can then get health from again so he can make it through the rest of the level. He knew exactly how to get through this this fourth level in the quickest time possible. I don't think he biffed a single moment in this to the point where I'm like, you know what? I don't think a minute 45 was possible because he didn't really stop. He didn't make any mistakes. He maybe could have done a quick cut bit of damage boost elsewhere but about the only moment i could say oh he stuck a bit was when he used the pterodactyl to lift up there was a moment where he kind of jammed on one of the undersides of one of the platforms but Mm. it was for less than a second yeah it was a millisecond and it certainly wasn't enough to get another one or two hits in on the boss at the end absolutely not well so i've got a bit of a controversial take on this boss fight i think that george loses this and it's because neil west is wrong So Neil West, when he is doing his commentary for this, says he's hit him three or four times. He'd actually hit him three times. And then when he gets to towards the end and they're counting down, Neil West shouts, he's got one more hit left. But he didn't. He had two more hits left. At least. At least two more hits left. And when George throws the rock at him and Neil West says that's his last hit, he stops moving because he thinks the challenge is over. If he'd have oh! jumped up, he wouldn't have got hit by the Triceratops. He'd have still run out of time. He still would have run out of time. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, he definitely would have run out of time. <laughs> but I still think this is Neil West's fault that he dies. Well, I've got an alternative spicy take for you. <gasps> if, as you theorised, 1 minute 45 was Neil West's best time... <gasps> oh, you think he sabotaged him? Oh, my him. word. <laughs> We're starting it here now. <laughs> 28 years later... Neil West sabotaged George Delafontos from getting the golden joystick. Neil West is the Palpatine of the Games Master <laughs> Universe. I was going to say, forget the Dave Perry Mario 64 incident. This is RJFK. This, this is RJFK. <laughs> Back and to the left. <laughs> but it was a thrilling challenge. I really, really got, I was on the edge of my seat for this because it was such yeah. a tight turnaround. I, I thought it was great. The game also looked great. Mm-hmm. Um, 
especially because there was added tension because Chuck moved so slowly. <laughs> I think we, I'd have loved to have seen a full split screen for this entire thing because I imagine George's face throughout it would have been, come on, yeah. move quicker. It's just not a game that's really suitable to put an incredibly tight time limit on. And that's why it was so clever. Yeah. And that's why it made such gripping telly that they did. It, it's kind of a surprise for me to look back now and realize that Chuck Rock was not necessarily up there with Mario in terms yeah. of like gaming icons and like the pantheon of characters that were from games. I, I think if it appeared on Games Master, I'd just accepted it was in that, that league. It did actually have uh, a comic as well a long-running comic really yeah in looking magazine yes it ran <laughs> chris mentioned this on sonic yeah it ran right up until the end of looking magazine and they actually gave a close to the story where he got <laughs> swept away washed up on a desert island and was revered as a god <laughs> <laughs> mm. well that was not the end for chuck rock that i expected However, as a little bit of an in-joke, in that comic, his son was in there, and he had a games console oh, called no. a Stegger Drive. <laughs> hey! Oh, wait a minute. That's actually good. That's very oh, good. I'm very pleased with that. <laughs> I remember reading Lookin', but I do not remember this. I was I never read Lookin' because I thought it was for adults. Because, you know, when you're a kid and you don't really know about teenagers, you just think everyone older than nine is a million years old. <laughs> and, like, so I thought Lookin' was for adults, 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 adults. And then... I, I still don't know what the actual age group for looking is, but I passed right through it and out to the other end where I was no longer interested in this teenage <laughs> stuff. Do you know what I mean? I had one yeah, issue, yeah. one issue of looking, and it was the one that came with the... Um, do you remember the, the TV 3Dizer lens? No. no. So one year, looking magazine, and I could be mistaking it for Fast Forward magazine, and probably am, <laughs> but one of those two came with um, a pair of 3D glasses, the normal red and blue ones, but also it came with a third little lens that was just a dark lens, and you put it over one eye, and what happened was it, in some way, it slowed down your brain's perception of light in that one eye. So if, for example, the BBC were to dedicate let's say a day to just putting stuff on that worked that way then what you would have is essentially a 3d tv day and i believe it was something to do with you know comic relief or something and that's what that doctor who episode was i was gonna say i i had the glasses because i'm a big doctor who fan mm. and so 1993 dimensions in time the east enders crossover yeah and uh yeah the polarized glasses i can't remember they were given away in different places but yeah they worked in the same way a lot of modern 3d films do where there was a mm. a slightly different thing going on but yeah, yeah that would have been around 92 93 so yeah and i didn't have glasses uh, maybe i got the knockoff if you wear glasses anyway you just slide it into your glasses and you're done <laughs> i remember uh, trying it out on my own stuff and the best thing to use it on that wasn't made for it is the bit at the end of the lion king where simba and mufasa are circling one another and the camera's going round and round it works on that bit simba and sky <laughs> you mean i do mean simba and sky <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Now, George, that was desperately close. Neil and I reckoned you just needed one more hit on them at the end and you would have won it. It was nerves. Yep. Yeah. Well, it happens to the best of us. Oh, well, George says in his post-match interview that the nerves just got the better of us. And Dominic Diamond says, well, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> oh, premature. Oh, I missed that one. Premature dick joke. There exactly. we go. <laughs> premature ejaculation jokes. He was on the ball, wasn't he, Dominic? He didn't miss one. He was right in there. I... I 
that must have been innate to him. He must have gone through his whole life doing that and then just finally found the place to put it. It is infectious because one thing we discovered is that the more we've gone into this podcast, the more we've just inadvertently started doing more and more dick jokes, not only in the recording of the podcast, but it's yeah. slipping into my daily life. <laughs> Innuendo, which was already pretty high with me, has actually gone further up the charts. Tonight, we hop, skip and curse our way through platform games. First up on the Super NES, Doug the Daring battles to save his babe in Dragon's Lair. It's just a normal sideways and up and down scrolling sort of fighty kind of platform game. You have your snakes, your bats, your rivetry, castle, your damsel in distress, and all the super force. Not much challenge. It all gets rather dull very, very quickly. And really, at the price it is, it's not the sort of game that I'd rush out and buy. Uh, well, let's jump into the review zone because we're looking at platform games this week with our motley crew of David McCandles from Sega Zone, Jazz Rignall, miserable Jazz Rignall My. from Me Machines. <laughs> God, this is the Spider-Man Three Jazz Rignall. <laughs> this is this like his hair looks sad. It, oh. Yeah, but saving us is the wonderful Jane Goldman, who. Mm. 90, early 90s Jane Goldman I've discovered I'm madly in love with. <laughs> you get this glint in your eye <laughs> the past couple of times that she's appeared on the show. And our first game we're looking at is Dragon's Lair. But mm. not that Dragon's Lair. No, it's Dragon, Dragon's Lair. It's, it, is, it is the Dragon's Lair, but it is for the Super Nintendo. And it is just the platforming version of it. And it looks like it is horrible to play. Yeah. yeah. Dragon's Lair, the original, 1983, highly praised, large waves of nostalgia to this day, still available on modern platforms. Dragon's Lair for the Super Nintendo, not. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the animation's just like, it is unwieldy to play. Because normally for games, the animation of the sprites in a good game is designed with the play in mind and it doesn't really matter what the animation's like as long as it's believable and feels right. In Dragon's Lair, of course, which was literally an animation, mm. if you're converting that to a 2D platformer, you feel some obligation to make the animation a thing. And unfortunately, the way that they've done that is to make it just a bit too odd. And it's, it doesn't yeah. serve the movement at all. It's just there. It's too cartoony. If yeah. they wanted to do this animation and do it right for a Dragon's Lair platformer, they should have given it to the dev team behind um, Aladdin and The yeah. Lion King. Because yeah. those games perfectly captured fluid animation while still having banging gameplay. Yes, that's right. Because it's actually got the same similar animation style and sprite style as um, Space Ace, which is also a Don Bluth port. And Space Ace is also a terrible game for the Super Nintendo. Yeah, it's, although an even worse game for the NES. Or at least Dragon's Lair. <laughs> oh, Dragon's Lair on the NES. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's bad. However, <laughs> you you had a narrow squeak with fate because there was a Mega Drive port planned. And going by ROMs that have leaked onto the internet, it was 98% done. Oh, really? Like, <laughs> it's almost bug-free. It's still crap. <laughs> but it's bug-free crap. Yeah. Um, Jane Goldman says that it's just a normal platforming game. Uh, David McCandles just explains things that are in it and doesn't sound enthused at all. <laughs> and then we get to miserable Jazz Rignall, who's like, it's dull. 
It's not a lot there. Who pissed in his cornflakes <laughs> this week? No, really. What was up? That something had happened to him just before he went on. He's upset. <laughs> well, we did talk about working with Dave Perry, so <laughs> well, maybe that's what it yeah. was. But he said that at this price, it's not the sort of game he'd rush out and buy. No. Although arguably, given his line of work, he didn't have to buy games. No. 57% for Dragon Slayer. Doing way better for the Master System. A good game for the Master System, folks. It's the New Zealand story. Next, heart-rendingly cute sprites with good intentions finally flop onto the Master System. It's the New Zealand story. It's immensely playable, very addictive, very cute, um, and generally really worth playing. Really, I, I think that this is one of the best games I've seen on the Master System, actually, for quite a long time. Oh, yeah. This is a good game on yeah. any platform. Yes, it is. It doesn't matter, does it? Mine was the Spectrum version. It was great. <laughs> Amstrad here. Played yeah. this to death. Also, because it's in the same canon, Bubble Bobble and Rainbow Islands, the Bubble Bobble story too. Just amazingly addictive games. And also an advancement from the single screens of yeah. Bubble Bobble to the slightly multi-part screens of Rainbow Islands and their New Zealand story, apparently inspired by one of the Taito developers going to New Zealand. <laughs> Where did he go in New Zealand? <laughs> he went to the anime bit of New Zealand. <laughs> but you have New Zealand story, or technically, as it's written, New Zealand story. Yes, there is no space between New oh, and really? Zealand. really? Were they yeah. worried that New Zealand were going to sue? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it was an arcade game in the late 80s. Uh, the Spectrum uh, got its release in 89 uh, and was voted the number 34 game in your Sinclair's Reader's Top 100 Games of All Time. Ah. Also, we spoke of the Amiga earlier. Sold bucket loads because it was a packing game for ah. the Amiga 500 Batman pack. Sold over 2 million units as a result of that for the Amiga. Oh. I always love watching people play puzzle games. When I was out in Japan recently, we went to a video game bar and they had like little mini arcades just around all the tables. And my wife is not a gamer at all. She's She had a PlayStation for a bit, but she had Rayman and one of the Harry Potter games and has mm. never really been a gamer. But she played Bubble Bobble and it took me forever to get her to stop playing Bubble <laughs> Bobble because she got so madly addicted to it. Don't let her get hands on um, Buster Move 4 on the Dreamcast <laughs> then. That was a Puzzle Bobble and it was, oh, mwah, perfect. Whoa, we played that for a whole summer, nearly every hour of the day. <laughs> Oh, it was a good one. The amount of time we've just spent talking about New Zealand Story is about 20 times the amount of time they actually spent talking about it in the episode. <laughs> it gets two comments. Yep. But then, Pipe Bomb, 87%. Yeah, yeah, massive. And it's funny as well because, so the first series of Games Master, they had Master System games on there and they all had terrible reviews. They had terrible mm. games. And we basically, we, we, I think you even called it at one point, it's the red-headed stepchild of this gaming generation because it's never getting any good games. And here we are in Series 2 of Games Master. The Mega Drive is out. The Super Nintendo is here. And we've got a good Master System game that's getting a good it's getting a good review. New Zealand story for the Master System is the Daddy Warbucks to the Little Orphan Annie <laughs> of the Master System. It's that last-minute reprieve that saves her from the meat grinder. She went into a meat grinder in Annie, didn't she? That's right, yes. Oh, sorry, that was Pink Floyd's The Wall. I get those two confused. <laughs> Far more often than is convenient. Oh, that's right, that's right. And I'm thinking of Mannequin, where she gets saved at last minute from the meat grinder. Yeah, it's right. 
wood grinder, wood chipper, I suppose. Listen, this is a very good game. It doesn't matter what system it's on. It's always going to be good. It's so simple. It looks nice. It's the tune. You know, it's great. Finally, grown man found with children and fairy on desert island. It's Hook on the Super NES. It's very unoriginal and it's also very easy. Uh, within a few days, you've cracked it. If you thought the film was crap, then this might just about make up for it. It's really attractive to look at and the movements are very fluid and smooth and the sprites are big and detailed. And it's really commendable. And our final game is Hook for the Super Nintendo, based on the movie of the same name. Grown man found with children and fairy on a desert island. <laughs> man, that's a sun headline there. <laughs> I did not know until watching this that I could sing along with a 16-bit impression of the incidental music from Hook. <laughs> but it turns out I can. I guess that I guess some of those tunes were real bangers. Last week we were talking about video game movies that have become cult classics afterwards. Mm. Hook, I think, is something that is actually more highly regarded now than it was then. Yeah. Yes, I think so. And I think it's because it was slightly out of time. If Hook had come out in the mid to late 1980s, yeah. it would have critically slayed because it would have been in the company of the Goonies it would have been mm. in the company of Monster Squad of Explorers of the Ambling Cannon mm, in that mid yeah. to late 80s but 1992 this comes out we've had Batman Returns yeah. we've had Alien 3 it's a much darker time Oh, yeah. that explains a heck of a lot because of course I was whatever 9-10 years old whatever we were and that I remember watching Hook I remember it in cinema and it was the I remember just being so starry-eyed and coming out of it and talking about it with kids who'd seen it and you just feel like you're part of it, don't you? <laughs> you feel like you're there. And and I meant it at the time because, of course, I hadn't seen all of those because they were horrible films for older kids. <laughs> it was a beautiful film because, of course, we're still in the era of physical props and costumes and sets. That set. It's oh, my amazing. God. I'm convinced, by the way, there's a book called The Scar by China Mieville. And it's a fantasy book about a city made up of pirate ships that have all been strung and bolted together to make a big floating city. And I am totally convinced that he got the idea from Hook. Also, the biggest asset to the film was Robin Williams. Yeah. yeah. It was Robin Williams at his best. A nice, healthy mixture of manic energy. Also, that kind of warmth and also rediscovering his childhood. Yeah, that childlike energy that he has. Oh, God. It, yeah. Slightly restrained compared to, say, full-on Mork for Mork. Yeah. Yeah, but that's... it. Wasn't it perfect when they made it? Because they waited until he was not yet old enough to have lost that energy, but not... He was, like, old enough to look like he should have lost that energy. So when he brings it out, it's like, no one else could play this character. No one else. And yeah, strangely enough, the la certainly last time I watched it anyway, I thought I was going in to, to watch Robin Williams clown around and do that. But it was Dustin Hoffman and Boskins. Yeah. The scenes with that pair are so good. I'd have loved a spin-off film. Yes. With those two. I'd have yes. loved to, yeah, a spin off film of the adventures of Hook <laughs> and Smee would have just been absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And also <laughs> features a bizarre cameo, not only from Phil Collins, but also mm. from George Lucas and Carrie Fisher as the smooching couple on the bridge. Oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, no. Hang on. I mean, I've heard that before, but I never quite believed it because no thank you. Yeah, it's in the credits and everything. They are, I, oh. I think it's like Smooching Man and Smooching Lady or Lady Smoocher. 
something no. along those lines. Man, Carrie Fisher really was an astounding actress, wasn't she? Because <laughs> you know he's been trying to write that in since Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> he's just like, I was just thinking, Carrie, that maybe maybe when you've uh, when you've left the ice planet hot when you're on Cloud City, maybe you could just randomly kiss this bearded man stood in the doorway. Well, Miserable Jazz calls Hook for the Super Nintendo unoriginal and very easy. Whereas everyone else is a bit more positive about it. David McCandle says, if you thought the film was crap, this should make up for it. And Jane Goldman says, it's attractive to look at, very commendable, 76%. The developer of this game, uh, Yuki Yotai, apologies if I just mangled mm. their name. They kind of did a sequel to this, or they certainly reused the game engine, advanced it a bit. A game for the Super Nintendo called Skyblazer, mm. which had the similar sort of platform aesthetic and the floating flying style. But they also had an overworld which used Mode 7 on the Super Nintendo. Oh. So you were flying. Oh, <laughs> you were sweet. going all over the place. That did considerably better. Still has quite a cult reputation today. It was even a cover star for a future magazine that we will cover, Superplay. And now for this week's feature. Those of you who have tried to strut your stuff to the music from a Game Boy will know that something is most definitely missing. However, help is at hand as more and more musicians are using the sound from video games as the basis for chart-busting tracks. Sample Master T shows us how with Super Mario Land on the Game Boy. I want to make it into something much more interesting. So I think I'm going to speed that up. Let me turn this off. See if we can play on the keyboard over here. Yeah, now, now you're talking. Yeah, that's the one. We're going to go with that. Now what do I need? Uh, I need a break, that's it. I need to call a DJ friend over here and he can cut it in for me. Yeah, rude boy, yeah, peace. Okay, you can give me a break? Yeah, yeah take that off. Right, record's on, he's just skewing it up. Yeah, got it. Okay, let's go. Right, now for the final touch, all we need is the vocals. And here's something I prepared earlier. Hi. Yeah, I'm okay. Ready? Games Master, let's play a game. Great. All the ingredients are in place. We've come from this to an almighty this. Next, we've got a very bizarre feature on music. See, bizarre wasn't the word I wrote. <laughs> oh, do you know, as we were watching it, I was going, okay, I've remembered this all my life. This, this section never went away. I thought it was from Bad Influence, but it was from this. And I was further incorrect because I thought it was Ambassadors of Funk. I oh, thought it was. MC Mario. Yeah, at the time I thought like, oh cool, here's the Ambassador the Funk guy, I guess, doing that. Maybe this, maybe I didn't have that single yet, so I didn't know it well enough to recognize the difference. But like, because, oh, by the way, you guys mentioned the Now album that had it on, and that was my Now album as well. Ah. Yes, Dave. <laughs> yep, the, the Tetris Super Mario Land 2 And then, interestingly, you know, it, I think there comes a time in every child's life in the 90s where you're like, I am exactly the age where I desire, and now that's what I call music of my very own. And you get one, and mine was that one. And then my brother's, a couple of years later, when he 
aged into it. He got the one that had Mr. Wonder Man by Riot Said Fred, the Sonic single oh, on there. Stuff. Total coincidence. Whereas that was the ambassadors of funk, what we really have here is the ambassador of junk because this is <laughs> hey, awful. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's very nice. Because, yeah, there's that moment, isn't there, where he goes, so now we've gone from this and he plays it on the Game Boy, to this. <laughs> it's like, oh, all right. I mean, to be honest, I'm happy with the original one. This is the equivalent of a child making their mother yep. breakfast on Mother's Day. And what they actually do <laughs> yeah. is burn the toast and microwave some crayons. <laughs> this feels like an Adam and Joe parody. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. When that woman comes in and she starts going like, yeah, Games Master. <laughs> oh, Gotta no. play. That has been stuck in my head all week as well. I've been just walking around the house going, Games Master, let's play a game. This is like a small interlude feature segment on Look and Read. <laughs> Remember that we used to watch in school? Yes. yes. Like, what, that, what, was that, what was that music program they used to have with like, there was a gnome with a big ear and he used to go, listen. And they would go, bom, bom, bom on a xylophone and stuff. This is like them trying to be funky and up, up to date. Although does truly show the amazing musical power of an Amiga 500. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, earlier today, Chris, who did our theme music, linked to a video on YouTube that was looking back at all the various samplers and sound interfaces that were made for the Amiga 500. And it was taking the equipment of the studio and, and genuinely putting it in your home. And I'm listening to some of the music that's still being produced on this hardware now, even with caps that have eroded and God knows what else. And I'm like, man, this is still pretty good. Yeah. Unfortunately, Funkmaster G... Is it Funkmaster? I've thought I've written Sample Master T and then Funkmeister T. And and I've written Funkmaster T. So between <laughs> us. <laughs> well, he will be at Games Master Live. Yeah! <laughs> if you want to fiddle with some samples of your own, Funkmeister T will be at Games Master Live, a three-day show at the National Exhibition Centre in December. In addition to this, you can have Run Around and Blast Your Mates Action Ahoy in Quasar. Grab an unfeasibly large helmet and get stuck into some virtual reality for yourself. We'll have all the latest arcade games for you to fiddle with. Yours truly will be hosting challenges where you can take on the people you've seen on TV and best of all, you can check out all the new games and hardware which will kick with the best of them and get your glance secreting like they've never done before. Here's all the info you'll need. The dates, December 4th, 5th and 6th, the place, the Birmingham NEC. The phone number for information and bookings is 021-780-4133. Do tell them if you're in the Games Master Club because we've got special deals for all members. I don't remember him. Nope. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's a three-day event. You'll also be able to play Quasar, grab an unfeasibly large helmet, and go into the VR world. And apparently have sex, because that's <laughs> yeah. certainly what's going on in that VR footage. And I'm like, was Lawnmower Man out at this point? Because I'm pretty sure this is Pierce Brosnan bonking in Lawnmower Man. <laughs> yes, that is a clip from Lawnmower Man, confirmed. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be arcade games. Dominic Diamond is going to host some challenges with a shot of previous under-console guest star Paul Gannon and you can play all the new hardware with shots of Street Fighter 2, Alien 3 and Hook. It's on December 4th, 5th and 6th and it's going to be at the NEC in Birmingham. You know what, I'm glad they threw that in in the end because otherwise this feature segment would have been the worst thus far. Yeah. <laughs> Lower than the Game Boy customization. Lower than these um, Sega Mega Drive advertising kits. Yes. <laughs> yes. Lower than a 
deconstructed press kit. <laughs> because also this entire segment was shot against green screen. I know. And they got it in the background and everything. It's and of course, when we hear the music at the end, oh, crash zoom. Wasn't that? How hard did you laugh when they started that zoom in and out thing? That was like, do you remember doing that with mates? Like my friend had a, he has family had a camcorder that had a little like a manual zoom lever. And you could like zoom, 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 zoom to zoom in and out to make rave videos. It's the Wade's World thing. It says a lot that my final note on this entire musical segment was just a single word out of context. Arseholes. <laughs> well, tonight's special guest is waiting in his chalet, champing at the bit in his eagerness. So let's put him out of his misery and go over to Games Master for tonight's Celebrity Challenge. I'm so pleased you returned. It can get a mite isolated up here, not to mention a trifle chilly round the girdles. Knowing how partial I am to a good, fair fight, you probably won't be terribly surprised to learn that for my second challenge, I've opted for an old favourite, Sonic Blastman. You have three punches with which to destroy a meteorite and record the highest possible tonnage. I trust you won't let me down. Poor old Gamesmaster, it gets a bit chilly round the old girdles in his new hangar. Girdles or girders? Well, I've written girdles. I mean... He's a man of advancing age. He needs to keep a trim figure. <laughs> That's what I thought. Maybe he's gone the whole Shatner route and, uh, you know, tucked it. So he claims that he's brought back an old favourite in Sonic Blastman. Now, would you have said this was an old favourite from Series 1? Actually, I would. I love this challenge when it appeared in Series 1 because it was a type of game that you would not see on a home console or unless you had a very decent arcade, seeing the arcade. For me, arcade games, for the most part, were a couple of machines stuck in the side of the video rental shop. Yeah. Uh, They'd never have a Sonic Blast Man. They were usually jammer cabinets with um, WrestleFest and an SNK game in. Yeah, I can, I can really only recall one time in my childhood when I saw an arcade machine outside of the pier at the Isle of Wight that time we went there on holiday, and that was a, a Ghosts and Goblins in a pub. And that's yeah. it. That, that, they, they really weren't quite as ubiquitous as we like to bang on about these days <laughs> no that, yeah the arcades that i saw when i was a kid i think i remember i told this in the podcast last time it was just at the local social club because they had an they had a golden axe cabinet there mm. and they had two other cabinets but i cannot remember what those were but i specifically remember the one in the corner being golden axe the pub that we used to go to as a family when i was a kid had one the, the main one we went to for our kind of like Sunday afternoon drive to the pub because you could still have a pint and drive at that point. <laughs> yeah. They had one arcade cabinet and it always had some sort of scrolling shooter in it, usually a 1940 whatever plane shooter type game. The other pub we went to always had a variant on Pac-Man. Mm. The most memorable of which to me was Pac-Land. Because I saw it and normally I didn't bother with Pac-Man because I could play Pac-Man. Yeah. But then I saw Pac-Land and I'm like, what is this? This is not... A single screen game this is scrolling and he's wearing a jaunty hat yeah he's wandering about in his neighborhood in that one isn't he <laughs> yeah so yeah we only had the golden axe uh, game that i remember until mega bowl opened up down in calcas <laughs> and that was a sega branded arcade Ooh. so we had like the sonic the hedgehog uh carpet sega carpet and oh. we got sega sonic the hedgehog uh, what the get game. out what yeah when it came out we got sega sonic the hedgehog in our local arcade I think wow. we had a Mega Bowl opening Gloucester, and I'm fairly certain it was Sonic branded as well, because did you have Sonic decals down the side of the lanes yes, and yeah, the gutters? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember this as well. I don't remember Sega Sonic, but I remember the Sonic branding, yeah, because no, I was a Nintendo kid, so I was out of my depth. This is something we looked into on our podcast, because this was Sega World, 
Before they settled on the Trocadero in London, there were a few of these things opened that were called Sega World, or at least, you know, they eventually became Sega World for five hot minutes before. And that's that's exactly what you seem to be describing. I wish I could yeah. have gone there, but I never had one near me. In the last series, arcade champion Paul Turner showed that he can live with the best of them on this game. Well, this time we've got him against one of the true greats. So please welcome our champion Paul Turner against tonight's challenger, Frank Bruno! series, I must tell you, do not underestimate this man, because yeah. he took Gary Mason to the cleaners. How Did do you he? feel about I'm it? I'm going to take him to the cleaners, yeah, <laughs> and wash him as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, Paul, what's your reply to that? How do you think you'll handle Big Frank? Well, he's number one, and i just got to take him out. <laughs> Maybe big and strong, but it's just going down. <laughs> okay, before this gets into a little pre-match fracas here, could I ask you gentlemen, both of you, the best of luck. Take your places by the machine, and we'll get ready to start. Well, I didn't have anything like Sonic Blastman, uh, and we certainly didn't have anyone as intimidating as Paul Turner, our returning champion yes. from Series 1. Someone that literally punched Gary Mason into the ground. Like a, a boxer whose career was on the wane and was just like, oh, so you've lost again, Gary. Seems to be a habit at the moment. Yeah. Oh. But not so much for his opponent here. No, absolutely oh. not. Oh, blimey. <laughs> well. Probably one of the biggest celebrities they've had on Games Master until this point, I'd argue. Easily. Because Easily global recognition. Yep absolutely up there and also coming to a panto near you soon <laughs> <laughs> number one in the world frank bruno absolutely frank bruno is on games master like you are kicking off this new series with a bang because you had tony slattery last week we've got frank bruno this week it's just this feels like the, the show has leveled up massively and yeah. Frank Bruno is here for a fight and he is looking to win. <laughs> when Dominic Diamond says he took Gary Mason to the cleaners, he's like, well, I'm going to take him to the cleaners and I'm give him a wash. Give him a wash. <laughs> yeah. It's a line he's working on. He's preparing for his Widow Twanky run. <laughs> I know, wasn't he? And, and like leaning in and growling in the kid's ear and stuff. That's great. I, I love this. This is the most I've ever genuinely laughed yeah. at a Games Master Challenge. And it's because Frank is so into it. He was such a magnetic oh. personality. Yeah. Even if it didn't always make sense, why was he growling like a dog? <laughs> we'll never know. He probably doesn't know. I think he was channeling uh, gladiators there. <laughs> yeah, he was. He, he was a proto-wolf. Yeah. Because Paul Turner is trying to do the, the stuff he did in Series 1, which yeah. is like, I'm the champion, I'm going to remain the champion. And Frank's just in his ear going, <laughs> It must be really confusing as well, because on one hand, you've got Paul Turner stood next to the number one in the world who's making dog noises, <laughs> while at the same time has gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with Mike Earbiter Tyson. Yeah. That must be a head... <gasps> maybe, maybe Frank was psyching him out. Yeah. Maybe this was actually a massive psychological tactic. If I growl like a dog at him, it'll throw him off his game. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was just uncanny. I've, I mean, I've already said how I am with sports. I've never in my life been interested in boxing. I think it's probably a bad thing. But here, <laughs> watching this, I was, I was excited by every punch. I'm jumping in my seat at the impact. It's apparently, all you got to do is put a video game in it and some '90s Channel Four, and I'm yours. <laughs> oh, ringside from CBG, we got Tim Boone returning to the show once again. Uh, Dominic Diamond says that he backed Paul last time. Time, um, and he's going to back him again. But Tim says, Frank's been in the ring with Mike Tyson. The smart money 
is on Frank Bruno. See, I disagreed with that when he said it. When he said it, I turned out to be wrong as well, but I was with Dominic. And the reason is, the reason why that guy last series, the same guy, was able to beat an actual boxer is that this is a video game. He knew about how the machine worked. So yeah, yeah. he's up against an opponent who he would lose a boxing match to. But this is about which, which area of the pad to hit for maximum, like it, for it to register it enough. At least that's what I thought until I saw what <laughs> Frank Bruno could do. Okay, we've got a little bit of disagreement in the commentary box. If you want to find out who's going to win between the arcade champion Paul Turner and the ring legend Frank Bruno, join us after the break. <laughs> How sensible is it to buy bold? Can it do two jobs all in one? Well, as a journalist, I have to be curious. So I agreed to try bold on my family's laundry. Cleaning, I got superb results. And the softness bold delivered meant I found no need for a separate softener. And because it's all in one, bold costs less. So why buy two when bold's all in one? My advice, better buy bold. Now 23, the number one album with John Cicada. The number one hit from Charles and Eddie. Simply Red, Undercover, and Billy Ray Cyrus. Now 23 was the number one from Tasmin Archer. The number one from The Shaman, plus Rage and Irma Franklin. 39 top chart hits on the number one album. Now 23, that's what I call music. This episode of Under Consultation is brought to you in part by Patreon. Help support this podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod and back us at the £5 level to get this show a week early and ad-free. You'll not only help cover the cost of making this show, because if we get to a certain level of backers, we'll launch a Patreon-exclusive podcast where we review other 90 shows in the same Under Consultation format. So help this show grow and get access to bonus features like this show a week early and ad-free by going to patreon.com forward slash under console pod. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Network Q cars get a free checkup after 1,500 miles. Thank you. Thank you. Network Thank you. Q, treating used cars like Thank new. You. Thank you. 
back. I'm here with Tim Boone from CVG Magazine, and we're about to witness the slugout of the century between arcade champion Paul Turner and the great Frank Bruno. The game is Sonic Blastman. Basically, they've got to knock out a meteorite with three punches. Whoever gets the most tonnage aggregate at the end of the three punches is tonight's winner. So back from the ad break, and Paul is up first. Very, very confident. You know, he beat Gary Mason last time. He's up against a tough task here. So he wallops this this pad as hard as he can. Knocks it straight into the 130-ton mark. It's a comfortable score. It's about on par with what he was hitting last time. It feels like he's on to a good thing. Yeah, but his second one isn't quite as strong, 130. And this is where I thought Frank is psyching him out because he's still growling. He's still having words <laughs> with him. And I was like, I think he's actually having an effect here. I wasn't sure if he was trying to psych him out or if he was actually trying to big him up, like spotting someone for weightlifting. It didn't sound like it was meant to be, you're going to lose. It did sound like kind of more, come on, you can do it. Show it who's boss. Yeah, I felt a certain amount of camaraderie in this whole thing. Like they seemed to be having fun together. And I really appreciated that. I mean, Frank was having fun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was, but I mean, I thought Frank was trying to psych him out because clearly it worked because his last one is his weakest at 129, a total of 391 tons. And he destroys the asteroid, which he didn't do last time. Yes. Now, this was something, as I was watching this, I was quite in excited because you did say previously that you're you're punching an asteroid in some way, but I hadn't properly pictured it. You've got that the screen just shows you an asteroid, a round asteroid in space. It kind of looks like a planet. And as you punch the thing, you are punching giant craters into this asteroid. What a great visual for this game. It's a fun game. So I've watched a, a, a playthrough of it now. So it's not mm. you an asteroid is just one of the challenges. You also fight a giant robot. And you've yes. got to try and punch oh. that out as well. Uh so Frank is up next, and his first hit is 146 tons. And I was like, well, Paul's not winning this task then. <laughs> Someone call the police. There's about to be a murder. Because, man. It was incredible that the machine didn't just crumple in half and explode or something. Eve hits it so hard. <laughs> the thing I noticed is he was as far back as the flex on the cable would allow. Yeah. And when he did hit the pad, he followed through with the punch because he twatted the side of the machine <laughs> yeah and you could just see this metal bar just go dog, 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 dog. <laughs> and at that point you could see in the background you could briefly see paul go oh, oh. <laughs> which is amazing because it means he must not have seen frank in rehearsal because there's no way yeah 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 absolutely but to go back to your point from earlier about knowing how the machine works uh -huh. it registered as 146 tons and it was just Frank walloping dead center of the pad. Could you imagine what it would have registered if he'd oh known where the sweet spot was? <laughs> oh my God, you're right. I reckon he could have probably one hit the entire asteroid and that's just boom, that's it, gone. I reckon he could do it to a real asteroid. Because <laughs> the second one is 142 tons and he cannot wait for it to get back up so he can just hit it again. <laughs> he's, he's, punching, the guy is, he's leaping around, he's jumping on it, he's punching the thing when it's still down. It was great. He's having the time of his life on this task. <laughs> Third punch, lands it, 142 tons again. Then he jumps up on the machine and just starts beating it into the ground. The asteroid explodes our 420 tons. He's, I mean, smashed it is, is you know, to uh, pardon the pun, but he smashed this challenge. The production manager must have been having kittens. He's like, we've got to send that back. <laughs> That's a couple of grand's worth of machine. 
Now, Frank, I bet against you. Was that foolish of me? Um, it was very, very foolish. I told you I was going to take him to the cleaners and give him a good wash, two-hour wash. Right, listen, Paul, you were the undefeated champion. You've just been beaten by Frank. What happened? Was it the power on the day? Well, he's number one in the world, so I took my shot and I lost, but I'm still king of the arcade, so that's all that matters. Okay, that's great. I'm okay, well, Frank, I know you've, you've won many awards in your time, yeah. but I'm sure none as prestigious as the one that you've won now. That's why I wanted to win, because I knew who was going to give the awards. I'm so excited. <laughs> all right, so tonight, Frank Bruno is the winner of our wonderful Golden Games Master Joystick! Well, Frank tells Dominic Diamond that betting against him was foolish. Paul says that he lost to the number one in the world, but I'm still the king of the arcade. I was like, I don't think you are now, yeah. mate. Yeah, sure, Pam. Yeah. Yeah. Frank says he took him for a wash two hours. <laughs> He's really, really wanted to get that washing line to land, and it doesn't. <laughs> and then Frank gets very excited about getting his golden joystick because he says yeah i've seen who's given it to me and so something tells me that he'd met sarah whisker backstage because <laughs> having not seen this series since it aired i took his comment to mean that oh we're about to get some bikini babes or something they're imminent and instead you get this completely anonymous sexless deep sea diver looking like a ghost out of a video game or something trudging along the gantry it just cannot be what he meant we, we brought this up last episode in that They've replaced Dave Perry in a monk's habit. They've hired a legitimate model and yeah. then they've gone, here's some neoprene. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a really funny bit, yeah. to be fair. It is. I'm sure for some people it works. I'm not going to kink shame. No. Nope. But Ooh. if you employ a model and then you literally cover them head to toe in neoprene <laughs> and an, an aqualung and, yeah. and just send them out there. To the point of how sexless it is. I didn't even know it was a woman under there until you told me that in the last episode. <laughs> if I remember correctly, she's back in future seasons as well, but under less neoprene. Yeah, she's one of the angels. <laughs> she's either one of the angels or one of the mermaids. The mermaid would be more on brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's making her way out of the sea as the series progresses. <laughs> but, but Frank is still overjoyed to get the joystick. He is. Paul is... Not. <laughs> he, he is not a two-time winner, unfortunately. He's not a two-time yeah. winner. And really, yeah, that claim of, well, I'm still the king of the arcade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, he he's the Gary Mason of this series. <laughs> he is. Oh, man. Oh, that's tragic. How the tides have turned, yeah. young Mason. <laughs> Although I hope Gary Mason saw it and just went... Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Games Master. Welcome to my consultation area. I'm here on the helipad. How can I help you? On the game Fax Emma, Dave, I can get the ruby ring, but I can't get any further. Please, can you help? In a word, yes. Once you reach the fountain, simply push the masonry and it will move to one side. This will trigger a hidden ladder from above, inviting you into unexplored territories. Oh, thanks, Games Master. My pleasure. Well, we get into the consultation zone, and our first child is stuck on... Faxanadu? Faxanadu. Yeah, Fax what the earth does he say? It is, I wrote Splatzanadu. It is F-A-X-A-N-A-D-U. I looked the game up. Oh, I did Because it's a Zelda 2 clone. Oh. Yeah, I thought it was Zelda 2 when I saw the thing. Also, by the way, the other thing I thought was that this kid looks exactly like Garth Marenghi. <laughs> <laughs> but a little boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's Faxanadu, as you said, it's a Zelda 2 clone. Uh, this kid can't yeah. get the ruby ring. Uh, well, he can get the ruby ring and get no further. God, when you reach the mountain, you push the masonry to one side, and that will unlock a ladder for you to climb. It's definitely a Zelda 2 clone because 
they just expect you to go through every level pushing against every single bit of scenery and prop <laughs> until something moves or you drop a potion in the middle of a blank screen for no apparent reason. It's not a new game, this. It was released in North America in 1989. Like, here we are at the tail end of 1992. I mean, that can't have been... I mean, was that when Zelda 2 came out? It must have been around then, wasn't it? Yeah, I think Zelda 2 was a few years before that. Oh, I mean... It, it, it may have been fast-tracked or, you know, just ripped directly <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Something I noticed in this consultation zone that I've never noticed about Games Master before is I could absolutely see Pat's black polo neck that he's wearing to hide the re the everything other than his head. You can see it. It's got all the folds and crumples. It was post-lunch. He'd had most of his fee by that point. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting fact about uh, Faxadu, however, uh, the game was featured in two episodes of the second season of Captain N, the Games Master. <laughs> oh. I saw this same fact and that yeah. was where my brain immediately went. I know what I need to make sure I've got a copy of because I really want to watch Captain End and the, the Games, Games Master. Master. <laughs> yeah, uh, the two episodes are Feud of the Faxdu and Germ Wars. The Elven King is named Melvis and looks and sounds like an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> Every single thing had to have an Elvis character in it in those days. Hi, Games Master. On Monkey Island 2, I can never seem to win the spitting contest. So how can I do it? Spitting is terribly antisocial and not something I like to give advice on. However, since you asked, I'll make an exception just this once. Go to the bar, buy a blue and yellow drink, then mix them together to make a green one. Drink this green potion to make your phlegm thicker, and spit when you see the breeze disturbing the scarf around the wrist of the woman in the audience. You should now win the contest with ease. Um, our second kid is stuck on Monkey Island 2 during the spitting contest. Oh, Aww. don't like spitting, says Cage Master. <laughs> yeah, really, really, it's just like, what? I'm telling people how to spit? Good grief, the fall of British society. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta uh, say, I've always had a lot of respect for uh, for old Pat in this because he must have... He must have been having a laugh doing this because he didn't need to do this. He didn't need to say anything of the sort. He didn't need to be in Games Master. I live in hope that somewhere in the Hewland archives, there are the raw tapes. Oh, oh yes. But also, I don't want to see them because they'd be the raw tapes. <laughs> yeah. And I suspect some of Patrick Moore's less agreeable sides yes. would have probably come out when he didn't think anyone was listening. Yeah. So, Monkey Island 2, we uh, had the review of this uh, in our last series. Yeah. Uh, an absolutely fantastic game. It's one of the all-time greats, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. Uh, and in this one, you have to buy a blue and yellow drink, mix them together to make a green one. You drink that, and then you spit when you see a scarf move in the breeze so the wind carries it across. That last bit is a really clever game mechanic for a point-and-click yeah. because it actually requires timing, something not a lot of point-and-click games actually required. Monkey Island 2, I think it did a brilliant favour to itself and, and kind of made itself feel bigger and grander by the fact that, do you remember this? You could, there was an optional play mode where it was just easier because they skipped a load of the puzzles in some way. I don't exactly know because, you know, I've never paid it much heed, but by having that version there, it made the actual normal version feel like it was going to be this massive, epic thing. And of course, that's exactly what it did feel like. And that just, no, you never played the cut down version because you knew you were like, you know, you were shortchanging yourself. But just because it was there, you felt like you had something really meaty in your hands. Oh. Right, Dominic? <laughs> <laughs> Diamondism. <laughs> 
I actually watched, so I watched the YouTube rip of this and there's a comment left on there by someone who says like, Games Master gets this wrong because you've actually nope. got to do these three other steps here. And someone comes like, no, no, that's on the really hard version. That's on the really hard <gasps> setting. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know any other setting. Oh, <laughs> so people did play the easy version then. Yeah. Well, and th to, the, to the point that they now remember only that version and think that that's the real version. Huh, well, I take, I, I guess I take it back, sort of. <laughs> I'm fighting masters on the Mega Drive. I'd like to fight my mate as the same monster. Is it possible? It is indeed. Select two players, and when choosing the first player, put the cursor over your favourite monster and press up and A simultaneously. The same character will now come up on player two. Cheers. Uh, and our third and final child uh, wants to be the same monster as his mate on fighting monsters. You select two players, put the cursor over the same monster, press up and A, uh, and yeah, then you get to play as the same monster. Not much to say about this game, really. It is definitely of that era we talked about of when Sega were putting out every possible fighting game that could possibly compete with Street <laughs> Fighter 2. Yeah. It's an odd cheat because unlike Street Fighter 2, there is no palette swap. No. Mm, I can see yeah. that getting very confusing, but also it made me think of Primal Rage a few years yeah. later, which yeah. arguably did it a lot better. Well, let's get into our third and final challenge. Here's Games Master to tell us what it is. Tonight's final challenge is on a game called Zoo. Zoo is a feisty young sprite arriving from the nth dimension, a plane of existence not too many light years away from my own. This will be a straight deck to a specially designed level. Quite simply, the fastest five wins. Watch out for your energy, but above all, don't like the clappers. Good luck to you. Oh, it's a feisty young sprite by the name of Zool. Oh, I'm excited about this. A gremlin, which is ironic because, of course, it came from... Gremlin. Thank you. Gremlin graphics. Yes, gremlin graphics. <laughs> I, 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 we talked about this in the last episode. I actually don't know a lot about Zool. I mean, I know of Zool, but I, I, I'd never had it for the Mega Drive. And this felt like it was a game for other consoles. This didn't feel it, like it was a, my, my it Mega It was. Drive. This was an Amiga yeah. game. It was actually it was an Amiga thing, and I wasn't an Amiga kid. So mm. I don't really have a lot of like love and affection for Zool. We just recently had the uh, the review of Zool in Sonic the Comic, the podcast. And um, and they're going on about it being a ripoff of Sonic. And I was quite affronted by that. Because it's like, <laughs> okay, yeah, conceptually they wanted to develop something to, to be a ripoff of Sonic. But the actual final game isn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, George Allen who programmed the game uh -huh. said he didn't actually see Sonic the Hedgehog until mm. he was halfway through developing Zool. Mm. That shows it's nothing similar. Yeah, it, I mean, it's not original. There were mechanics in there from yeah. lots of other platform games, yeah. including Switchblade 2, which also included elements of Strider. So mm. yeah. there, there is a lineage, but Zool was blindingly fast yeah. as the game goes, to the point where at times it almost became uncontrollable. <laughs> like when you really started wailing along and you suddenly had to do precise platform jumps, yeah. it got tricky. It did. And maybe that's why he had that wall grip, because otherwise there was just no way. Well, that's it. So my, my experience with Zool, it was at a, uh, a friend's house when I was being looked after by their mum uh, oh. for, for an evening and they had it on a PC. And yeah. that was like, you know, it's just like, oh, you like games, sit down and play this game. But that's really my only time of playing Zool. But I know uh, you, Dave, you've got more of an affinity for it and more of a love for it. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that was one of the first Amiga things I ever saw. My friend who had an Amiga sightedly got one while we were about 
10 years old he t took me around his house and we played Zool because up until then he only had the family computer which was one of those old green screen work yes. affairs one yeah, of those yeah. office -y things it did have three games on it one of them was Torsetti 2 one of them I honestly, honestly think was Samantha Fox's strip poker. <laughs> and the third, I'm, I can't even remember what it was. It was some <laughs> other thing. So to go from that to this thing that can do graphics, goodness no, we didn't get to the end of Samantha Fox's strip poker, uh, however hard we tried. So uh, I, I don't know what the graphics on that were like, but suddenly here was Zool with its colors and its graphics and its music and its especially its music. It was very good for music on the Amiga. Oh, it was a lot of fun. And, and oh, it's so Chopper Chops. Chopper and chops. it's Chopper Chops. Yeah, sweet friend. They were all over the place. I was delighted to see that here in Games Master. For this challenge, it's time for one of our umbilical forays into the mother-son arena. So please welcome Mavis and Matthew John Minor. <laughs> welcome, Matthew. Now, now, Mavis, should more mothers play video games? They should. I've had a good girl on the Zool. It's been very good. Have you, uh, I know you've been practicing. Who's been getting the fastest time? Um, Matthew, majority of the time. Me, about once. I've so been. we could mm. see a little bit of an upset here tonight. Yep. Now, Matthew, it looks like your mother might have tried to hamper you a little bit there. Has she dropped a heavy joystick on you? Or what's the score with the wrist? Um, well, I've done it in school, doing PE. He was running back. All right, well, we wish you both, both the best of luck. So, Mavis, if you'd like to go first, plop yourself down in the games playing chair. Matthew plus wrist, if you'd like to linger in the background. We'll get ready to start. So we've got a mother and son battle here. It's Mavis and Matthew, John Minor. Um, Mavis looks like a proper British mum. She does. Also, let's just say some amazing fashion on display for both of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, those this... shorts that he had. Didn't you, couldn't you just feel what wearing those shorts was like again? It was, oh, I was so happy to see those shorts. I miss them. I was worried you'd get too close to one of the lights because those lights ran hot and those <laughs> things would just go... <laughs> yeah. That, that's the shell suit scare again. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were just made out of sort of woven plastic, weren't they? But yeah, Mavis did have that perm yes. that almost mm -hmm. every mother had at that point. Although when she first walked down the steps, I thought she was an actress because I'm like, did, was she in Ghostwatch? She looked, <laughs> but that's because the mother in Ghostwatch also oh, had that, that perm. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, she thinks that more mums should play games. Um, and Matthew has been getting the faster times, but she's won a couple of games herself. I love the expression of, I like playing the Zool. <laughs> it's like you don't play on the computer, you play on the computer. Uh, but Matthew has injured his wrist. Yeah. PE. Oh, literally a handicap. They say, they say like, what did you do? He goes, oh, I was running backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, yeah it happens, I guess. <laughs> You're a child. You want to see if you can run backwards. Turns out yeah. you can, but there's a price to pay. <laughs> My thing was that I always used to, I, I, I was fascinated in the infant's playground with that thing where you spin round and round, right? Just on your own, arms out, spin round and round. And there's a point at which your eyes stop being able to lock onto the scenery. So what the <laughs> world around you stops going jump 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 and starts going whoa and i was always fascinated with that and then i tried to up the ante after many many successful bouts of spinning round and round on the spot just just add one little element and the two that there was no way around was level one close your eyes now that if you can spin round and round with your eyes closed and not fall over you are a grand champion but and this was the one i discovered totally impossible look up with your whole head <laughs> tilt your head up you're straight over, I guarantee it. Try it now. Go outside, 
spin round and look up, you'll be straight down on the floor. And uh, that's how I, I managed not to break any bones doing that. But uh, <laughs> this kid wasn't so lucky, just running backwards. What an amateur. I've never met anyone who I was better at physical exercise than, but apparently there was. Under consultation, the GameSmarter Retrospective podcast is not liable for any injuries you may incur while trying the aforementioned activities. They were recommended by a guest and not the podcast no, itself. And also, and also the guests on. Uh, no, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> but uh, do post your scores online. <laughs> Dominic thinks that uh, his mum dropped a heavy joystick on him. Bloody hell! That's some high-level stuff. That's quite disturbing in image. And joining me in the commentary box is GameZone's very own Jeremy Kev Daldry. Jeremy, what is Azul and what does he do? Well, actually, Azul is a mutant ninja from beyond the nth dimension. The nth dimension? And what attributes do you get in the nth dimension? Well, among them are spitting fireballs and pulling out a special ninja sword which can cut down anything in his path. Uh, well, Matthew, plus his wrist, lingers in the background because Mavis is up first. Jeremy Kev Daldry is in the booth with Dominic Diamond. Um, Dominic wants to know what Azul is. And Jeremy goes on a very <laughs> lovely explanation of this character from the nth, from the nth dimension. From the nth dimension. I've always said the nth dimension because, you know, I'm pretty sure that the joke is that it's like, we're not really saying what dimension, it's like N as in algebra. Finally, algebra has had a use. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, yeah, that was it. I went I was like, oh, now I understand the reference in Zool. Okay, never will I ever think about algebra again, except to talk about Zool. But also at this point, Zool wasn't actually out. Right, this was what really surprised me. When they said at the end, like, oh, when we'll have fun with this when it comes out. Like, what? Because as they were playing this, it just slowly started dawning on me that they're running past signs in the background that say Games Master with the Games Master logo. They finished the level, which is not, as far as I can think, any play style that's in the game for you actually to do. They hit that that marker. Oh, and also, as a Zool player, I've never seen Zool do that thing where he throws up the glittery sparkle at the start and that helps him jump or whatever it was they were on about. Okay, so here's the dealio, because it took a long time, but I found this interview... Um, right. yes. with the developer. Okay. Originally, in an early version of the game, uh -huh. Zool, in addition to fireballs and the kind of spin blade, did magic. Oh. And that's what's done Ooh. at the beginning of this level, is he's casting a magic spell that enables high jumps. In the finished game, they replaced it with just actual standard power-ups that enabled high jumps yeah. and other things. And there was, a, there was a sort of a ninja double that could go along behind you. That was all going to be, like, magic you could do before. Wow. They also added in a special area for uh, the Games Master, which came up on the previous... Yes, yeah, last week's episode, yeah. Last week's episode oh. in the consultation zone. And it featured on Games Master with this semi-exclusive level. And it was all down to the marketing people at Gremlin. They were the ones that secured mm. the Chopper Chops licensing, which just required yeah. a few sprite swaps. But the exposure on Games Master was huge. Yeah. Because suddenly here was a game that was being held in the same esteem as Sonic the Hedgehog, which was, of course, just around the corner with Sonic 2. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it moved as fast. And it looked great. And it worked on that computer that your parents bought you because they said, you're not on a machine for games. You're going to have yes. something you can do your schoolwork on. <laughs> I think that's why I just assumed that Zool had been around forever i didn't realize it was this new in our timeline i th I thought it had predated sonic for the longest time oh I really Zool, I, I thought Zool was like a late 80s game oh would it have been as successful if it had its original title what was the original title poots <laughs> <laughs>
Poots oh. from the nth dimension. I don't know if, if Mavis would have got on with the poots. <laughs> oh, I do like a go on the poots. <laughs> so Mavis is up first on this special Games Master level. She uses the magic to let uh, Zul jump as We were just talking about then. But doesn't use it to its full potential. There's signs for Games Master everywhere of those, and she just tears through this level, taking damage where needed. Mistimes a couple of jumps at the end, but gets 54 seconds. Speedy run. Now she, much like her son, hasn't played this game that much because this game isn't out yet. No, they've spent the whole day playing that, haven't they? They've been at it for a couple of hours, I think. But I think she also is a game where she plays the computer at yeah. home. Yeah. Because when you look at her holding the joystick, she's got it set on one thigh. She's yeah. got, she, she knows how to grip a stick. <laughs> Diamondism. Diamondism. <laughs> yeah. But no, but she looks actually fairly comfortable. And she's also got the hang of something that's very important in Zool, which is fire constantly. Yeah. yeah. Just constantly throw fireballs. It's fine. Mm. <laughs> so Matthew is up next sprained wrist and all Jeremy says the 54 seconds is a tough time to beat but he whips through this level <laughs> yeah. and does not struggle in those same areas he just gets straight up there 43 seconds he was 11 seconds quicker than his mum hands down the winner I would call it a speed run but he didn't spend most of his time running he was flying he was <laughs> jumping everywhere skipping over most of the enemies it was an astounding run and looked great i've never seen anyone play zool like this i don't know how he did it and i owned the game and i never got <laughs> to this level imagine how fast he could have been with two functioning arms <laughs> i know well I, I was impressed with him because i thought going in that he was just fundamentally not going to be able to operate the joystick properly but no joypad i think he'd have been stuffed joystick yeah. you've actually kind of you just need to yes. kind of cup it <laughs> yes yeah Let's try as much as we like. We can't make it not sound dirty. This is why Diamond excelled in his role. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Well, Mavis, for a few fleeting moments there, mothers everywhere were united in a common aim. What held you up? The walls. I kept getting stuck on them. You were getting stuck <laughs> on those walls. Does, what everybody wants to know now, though, Mavis, does this signal your retirement from video games? No, I should conquer that one when it comes out. All right, now, Matthew. I bet you breathed a sigh of relief. What would have happened if you got beaten by your mum? Well, I think my friends would have broke my other arm. <laughs> uh, in the post-match interview, Dominic said that Mavis had the support of mothers everywhere. What he said, and I love this, and I wrote it down because of how much I love it. He said, Mavis, for a brief fleeting moment there, <laughs> mothers everywhere were united in a common name. <laughs> that is poetry! Where does he come up with this? She, she does say, I'll give it a good play when it's out. I like that. So yeah, yeah off yeah, she, she goes. She's not going to retire from playing games. Turns to Matthew and says, what would have happened if you'd been defeated by your mother? He says that his friends would have broken his other arm. Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs> if your friends are going to break your arm because you lose a game to your mother, guess what? <laughs> They're not your friends. <laughs> also, did you really break your other arm running backwards? Because I'm beginning to question the validity yeah. of that excuse. <laughs> uh, well, Matthew wins the joystick. I thought it was a very fun challenge to end off this episode. It was a cracking challenge. This episode has been solid challenges all along. Loved it. Yeah. Dave? Oh, I had so much fun. And I was all primed to anyway, because by a total coincidence, yesterday I finally purchased and, and it arrived and I put together the wherewithal to digitize old videos and I've got a lot of old VHS tapes and the first one that I put in the first one I opened palm slammed into the slot was 
90s Channel 4. And I realised that that is the best time that there's ever been on television is 90s Channel 4. And I was just just drifting into this warm happiness of like, oh, that was the time that television was correct. And now today I get to come and talk about Games Master. It's perfect timing. And I had such a wonderful time watching the episode today. I've just... I can't believe I've not been watching them along with you so far, and I now will. Well, that's another show in the bag, another lovely mixture of laughter and tears, and we've got some more to come with supper tonight. Auntie Marisha's bypassed herself with the cockles on crude with a cod's row dip. <laughs> the mind boggles. Anyway, we'll see you next week. Good night. Well, yeah, that was episode two of series two. Uh, I, I thought it was a, a wicked episode from start to finish. I loved all three challenges. I thought the celebrity guest was great. Uh, the review section was... It didn't have a great selection of platform guests, considering the era that we're in. But the consultation zone had a couple of gems in there, particularly because we got to see Monkey Island 2 again. And for as crap as it was... I laughed a lot during the music feed. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it was a really solid episode, but you say the review section wasn't that great. Any episode of Games Master that has a Master System title <laughs> that right. gets over 80%. Yeah. The score's higher than any of the other games that are being reviewed in that segment. Dude, any, a score any higher than 60%, and it's a winning game for the Master System. Man, everything's going everything's working the episode is slick and polished the play-by-play is good yes the music feature is cringeworthy but it's used as a backdoor to um <laughs> to advertise games master live the challenges are solid the celebrity challenge an upset with the celebrity taking the win doesn't happen often nope. yeah i this, this episode almost flawless to me because everything was entertaining apart from Jazz Rignall. <laughs> apart from miser- <laughs> miserable Jazz Rignall. I mean, literally, if I'm going to mark it down on things, it's going to be Jazz just being miserable as sin. Yeah. I mean, genuinely, in retrospect, I hope he was just having an off day and nothing bad had actually know, happened yeah, in his exactly. life. If I was directing or producing Games Master and one of my reviewers turned up in that kind of a mood... I'd give him a day off. <laughs> I'd just give him a nice cup of tea, maybe a pack of biscuits. Yeah. And just, you know, give him a blanket because he just looks really sad and miserable. And it it, it does bring the vibe down a bit because everyone else is like, even when they're being negative, they're at least being verbose and witty and entertaining. He's borderline yeah. monosyllabic, which is not a great thing to be for a journalist. No, or on television. Uh, but I, I, I love the episode. I'm actually going very high with my score this week. I'm stepping into the 90s here. Whoa! I'm giving this a 93% score. I'm with you on this one. I'm 92%. Oh, I nearly <laughs> went 92 as well, but then I remembered how much I enjoyed Frank Bruno and I gave it an extra percent right at the end. <laughs> Jazz Rignall knocked a percent off me, you see, so that's where it goes. Uh, Dave, what was your score for the episode? I wasn't aware I was supposed to score it, so I will score it 93 because that was my favourite year in the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Right, well, Auntie Marisha's Cuckles on Croot with Cod's Row Dip is on the menu tonight, so we're going to go sample some of that right now. Uh, Dominic certainly looked bemused by the concept. Dave, thank you so, so much for joining us on this adventure today. Oh, thanks for letting me join you. I was in right in a mood to talk about Games Master, and here we all are. Uh, and we will see you all in seven days. Good night. Take care. Bye.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 